Well, the joy of the mission of the church is that no matter the, the turmoil uh, that, that the church is going through, whether it's financial, as we are at the moment, or whether it's a time of change or transition for the church, the mission of the church remains the same. And that is to stir these waters, to see the lost come to know Jesus as Savior. And this morning we get to celebrate two uh, baptisms, two people who in the past couple of weeks have given their heart to Jesus. They went through our discovery class to, to learn to be a, a, what it is to be a church member, to be a, a Christian. Uh, they went through that a couple of weeks ago. So I get to uh, joyfully baptize them this morning. It is cold, I know. Face that way. There you go. All the way. There you go. Heaven, have you asked Jesus Christ to be your personal Lord and Savior? Yes. Well, upon your profession of faith, Heaven Mendez, I baptize you now, my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Grab your nose. Sit down. Buried with him in death. Raised to walk in the newness of life. There you go. Back there, you go. Jay, have you asked Jesus Christ to become your personal Lord and Savior? Yes, I have. Then, upon your profession of faith, I baptize you now, my brother, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Have a seat. Buried with him in death, raised to walk in the newness of life. This is why we exist. This is why we are what we are. And I'm excited to do this. It's a celebration anytime uh, we get to uh, baptize somebody. That is a new Christian following in their first step, what is really their first step of obedience. Um, we. There are other, clearly, steps of obedience that are taken as after we follow Christ, but baptism is that first major public step. And that's what we're going to look at in our message this morning. Baptism, the beginning of obedience. I, I got to thinking that I don't believe I have preached on baptism. I, I quote this verse, Romans 6, 3 through 4, every time I baptize, or, or quote parts of it, paraphrase it, but uh, I don't, I've never preached on the passage Sharon, my clicker is not going to work uh, at the moment. If you could help me out on that, I'd appreciate it. But you know, we, we Baptists are kind of known for our baptism, right? Uh, it's, it's in our name. Uh, we, we're, we're known because that's what we do. Uh, we put a great emphasis on it. Uh, imagine, there you go, thank you, ma'am. Imagine a, a Whataburger if they didn't serve burgers. Right? What's your, what's your name? Whataburger. What do you have? Well, we have pizza, uh, chicken strips, um, a great sushi. Do you have a burger? Yeah, there's no such thing as great sushi. It's called bait. Yeah, um, yeah I, 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 that's not my favorite. Uh, but if they didn't serve a burger, we would question their name. Well, okay, Baptist Church, you have Baptist in your name. Obviously, you put great... Uh, in, uh, uh, emphasis on that. 
Even churches that are, that are Baptist that, that don't have Baptist in their name still put great emphasis. If you, if you go to um, a church, say, uh, that, that's, uh, well, the, the church plant, for example, that we started in Humble uh, a number of years ago, uh, was Hope Fellowship was the name. But if you went to our website, you clearly saw that we were a Southern Baptist church. That, that was there. We were, that's, that is a part of our DNA. Why? Why do we put so much emphasis on believers' baptism? Well, this is not why uh, necessarily, but, uh, but I thought you should know. As a matter of fact, I just read this. I get, y'all know how much Etta dislikes when I talk about history, right? I, I think I've made that clear. Um, I'll ask her at the end of a service, and I can talk about her all I want to now. She's not in here. Um, uh, I'll ask her after the service, how was the sermon? Oh, this was good, and that was good, but you spent way too much time on the history. She's not in here. I can do it all I want to at the moment. But I am going to tell you a little bit of history, and it's very brief, I promise. Uh, between, uh, well, I get Christian History Magazine. That's how big of a history nerd I am. I love to read about what went on. And I just got the, new, uh, uh, the newest edition a couple of days ago. Uh, I'm like kids waiting for their uh, uh, next Marvel comic. I'm waiting for the next Christian History Magazine and Biblical Archaeology Review. Those are the two nerd magazines I get. Um, Christian History Magazine is talking about the Reformation. When uh, Martin Luther posted the 95 Theses, you know, against the primarily what he was against was the indulgences in the Catholic Church. That's what he was doing. But there were a number of other things. And he came to the realization that uh, salvation is by grace through faith alone, not through any sort of mechanics of the, the church or what you do. And what followed him was a major overhaul of the church all across Europe. But it didn't happen immediately. There, there were problems. It, it took a long time. And in a lot of ways, we're still hammering out some things from the Reformation. But what you might not know, and I'm going to tell you because you might not know it, is that between the years of 1525 and 1600, 2,000 Anabaptists... Now, Anabaptist is re-baptizer. That's what they called them because they, would, they were baptized, they were christened in the Catholic Church as infants. And the church said, you don't have to re-baptize anybody, idiots. We took care of that. And what they came to realize, this group of Anabaptists, which we aren't in a direct line from historically, but we do get a lot of our, uh, our spiritual, our uh, biblical understanding from, they said, yeah, we do. We have to be baptized as believers. So they would be, in the Catholic parlance, they would say, you're being rebaptized. The Anabaptists would say, no, we're just being baptized as believers like the Bible tells us we're supposed to be. We're just doing what we're supposed to. For doing that, they were killed. 2,000 Anabaptists in a span of uh, 15, it was 75 years were killed because they did what we just did this morning. So baptism is a huge deal. It, it's talked about throughout Scripture. But, but what is the deal? Well, we're going to look at it this morning and talk about how that is the first step of obedience for a new believer. And that's why we call it believer's baptism. Turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 4. 
As I said, this is, I quote part of this passage or paraphrase it every time I baptize. Paul writes to the church in Rome. He says, or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in a new way of life. Now, Paul begins this passage with, uh, look, y'all know what I'm saying. Y'all, I don't have to tell you this because you know it, right? Are y'all unaware? That's, that's the way he begins it. Um, hey, guys, duh. If he were being a little, little more rude, uh, I guess. But that's how he begins the passage. I'm not telling you something you don't already know. And then he gets into why baptism is such a big deal. And, and, and I was going to tell you this uh, in a few minutes anyway. I'll go ahead and tell you now. The book of Romans is chock full of faith. It is all about faith, putting your faith in Christ, putting your your faith in Jesus for salvation, uh, faith alone in Jesus for salvation. It, It is just all full of that in Romans. Two verses talk about baptism, and here it is. These are the two verses in Romans, not in the whole Bible, but in Romans that talk about baptism. Not because it's unimportant, but because it's telling them, because Paul is telling them, guys, you know this, right? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus, that's the first phrase we're going to look at, baptized into Christ Jesus. For Paul, understand that to be baptized meant you were a believer. It didn't mean you would become a believer someday. It didn't mean that you would go to a a, a class and and learn how to be a a believer. It didn't mean that you would do all the right things in order to get your way to heaven or anything like that. If you were baptized, you were a believer. And it didn't make you a believer. So Paul says you were uh, baptized into Christ Jesus. What he's telling them is your act, that thing that you did, was a direct result of what had gone on in your heart. You followed in believers' baptism. That baptism didn't save you. Because remember, Romans is all about faith. If baptism were going to save us, if that physical act that we just did had any bearing on our eternity... I think Paul would have covered it in in Romans. Romans is the explanation of Christianity, the fullest explanation of what it means to be a Christian. He spends passages and passages on you're saved by faith alone. You're going to sin, but you're going to come back from that. there's grace to cover the sin. Don't sin so there's more grace. As a matter of fact, the fact that there's grace should keep you from sinning, but when you sin, there's always grace. That's the theme of Romans over and over and over what it is to be a Christian. If he were going to say, and so that you are truly saved, make sure you're baptized. If he were going to say that, he would attack that on in a number of places, but he didn't. He's talking about baptism that is a response to our believing. Baptism that necessarily follows salvation. That's the point he's making here. You're baptized into Christ Jesus because you've already placed your faith in Him. You're baptized into this group 
showing physically, outwardly, what went on spiritually, inwardly. Paul would never envision an unbaptized believer. It's just outside of the realm of possibility. That's why he could say to them, you were baptized into Christ. If you were baptized, obviously you were a believer. Because you weren't going to do that if you didn't believe. Because while they weren't being killed at this time, at the rate they were in the 1500s, 2,075 years, it was coming. If you were a baptized believer, you were putting a mark on your chest saying, here I am, this, this is who I am. You didn't get baptized lightly uh, in Rome at this time. You didn't get baptized lightly in uh, 1525 either. If you were willing to take that step, make that public profession of your faith, of who you were as a believer, you were putting a target on your back saying, if you want me, here I am, come and get me. So Paul would never envision an unbaptized believer. Paul would never envision a baptized unbeliever. The idea that we would ever baptize someone who didn't truly believe, that's why we as a church a year or so ago voted to make everyone who wants to join our church go through our discovery class. Because in our discovery class, when you, uh, when you come to that, we go through what salvation is. So you understand this is the decision you have to make. And then we say at the end of that section, in order to join our church, you have to be a believer. That's called regenerate membership. I mean, everybody who joins the church is supposed to be a believer. And then we talk about baptism, what baptism is, what baptism isn't. And say, if you want to join our church, not only must you be a believer, but you must be baptized into the fellowship into not just First Baptist Church, but into the universal body of Christ, because that is the initiation rite, if we can call it that, of joining the church. This morning, Jay and Heaven joined our church. When they were baptized, they were saying, I want to be a part of this fellowship, this family, this group. And that's what they were doing and stating publicly. So for Paul, if you believed, you were baptized. So he could say, you were baptized, you know that we were all baptized into Christ Jesus, not meaning when you were baptized you got saved, but he could talk about those two things, believing and baptism, two separate events, as one thing because you would not do one without the other. He didn't expect that you even would think you could do one without, one without the other, and you certainly wouldn't do the one baptism unless you had truly believed and trusted and known where you were going to go when you died because in just a few years, it's a very good possibility that your death could be hastened because you were baptized. So, uh, and persecution, while it may not at the time of this writing have been as rampant as it would become later, there was still great persecution primarily from the Jews, not so much from Rome, uh, of Christians. So you were still at this time putting a mark on your back. This was... Baptizing into Christ Jesus is a union with Christ. It's a, a picture of our union with Christ. It is physical when we are baptized. It's emotional when we're baptized. But it is not spiritual when we're baptized. And by not spiritual, I mean it does not do anything for you spiritually. I can dunk you up there every day, and it will not do a thing 
unless you have asked Jesus into your heart. It won't mean anything unless you have asked Jesus into your heart, unless you have followed, in, uh, followed him with, with saving uh, knowledge of his grace toward us. You can be saved. You can trust Jesus as your Savior, and my dunking you every day doesn't make you more saved. It's a physical act. It is a, an emotional act. And if you can remember your own baptism or, you know, just uh, one day when you're bored, go, on, go Google, um, let's see, what would be a good phrase for you? Baptism fails. And I don't mean that's not, that's not saying that baptism fails. I'm saying that baptisms that were fails, you know, like the internet fails, like, um, whoops, there's one guy, he got real excited when he got baptized. I mean, he, and he was big. And this guy, now, when, when I baptized Jay up there earlier, I, I've talked to Jay a number of times, but I've never realized Jay's a good inch taller than me. I didn't realize it until I, I stood up there next to him and thought, wait a minute, this is... Well, this guy that was being baptized, I wish I had gotten the video. He was me plus 50, maybe 75 pounds. He's a big old dude. Not much taller. The pastor who was baptizing him was about this tall. And, and he, he got him down, but the guy just, he got excited or the water was cold or something because he came flying up. Well, that little pastor, he was just thrown back in the water. Water went everywhere out of the uh, baptistry. Uh, there was another one where the kid jumped. You know how heaven walked nicely into, nope, you saw this go, flash, everywhere. That happens. Part of that is the emotional excitement. I am, I am following Jesus. I'm telling everybody here and whoever watches the video that I am now following Jesus. I am marking myself as part of this group. I am setting myself apart. What, what you're really doing in baptism is saying, people out here, you now have the right to hold me accountable because I am saying I am a part of you. We are now brothers and sisters. We're part of the same family. So when I do something that reflects poorly on the family, you have the right. You also have the responsibility to let me know because I have said I am a part of your family. That is baptism. That's that emotional, physical part of it. It is uni unifying us with Christ. It is unifying us with the body of Christ here, the bride of Christ. So we are now unified with him when we're baptized into Christ Jesus. But he goes on to say, Paul does, are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? You know, we were okay when we were just identifying, but now we're dying. And maybe that is a little, little bit of a turnout. You notice I don't say that part. Well, I do, right? Buried with him in death, but we, we you know, we, oh, we're alive again. Well, we need to spend a little time on that death. We see that when Jesus died, he put aside his choices. Remember he said in the garden when he was praying, not my will, but yours. It wasn't his choice. He was willing to die, but he wasn't excited about it. He wasn't just looking at the cross saying, y'all, this is going to be fun. I'm looking forward to this. Not my will, but yours. And then when God said, this is my will, Jesus chose death. He chose to, to go to the cross. He chose to go to the grave. 
We, when we are baptized into his death, we put aside our desires and we choose to give our lives to God. When we are first coming to him and say, I want to be a Christian, Jesus says, do you know what that means? That's why you'll never hear me stand up here and say that the Christian life will be all roses and balloons and ticker tape parades and all the cake you can eat. Because it won't be. A lot of your life will be the exact opposite of that. What we will have in those moments of, uh, in those moments of joy, we'll have joy. And in those moments of, those, not moments, those, those hours, those days of persecution, we'll also have joy. That's what I'll tell you the Christian life will be like. That's what Jesus is saying to us through Paul here. We are baptized into his death. We're not just taking a mark that is superficial and might mean something and, oh, isn't that great? Everybody, you know, we clap. We're excited you got baptized. No, I am dying. I'm dying to my own life. I'm, I'm symbolically here going into the grave, death, burial. I am going to die to myself, and I'm going to come up and be something different. The same, uh, the same way that Jesus came up, something different. I'll get to that in a minute, and you're thinking, oh, he's a heretic. No, I'm not. Just hold on. We, we, we put aside our desires. We choose to give our lives to God, and we choose to die to ourselves. Baptism is a picture of that death. That is you, that is me, going up there and saying, I know y'all heard me say, or maybe you heard the preacher say, that I gave my heart to Jesus. And I ask you, you know, I ask you when you come up to the water, have you trusted Jesus Christ for your, uh, your, your salvation? Yes. That's great. We can say that all day. Are you willing then to symbolize what has happened? That you have died to yourself and come up something new. That you have left the old life behind and come up a new creature, a new creation. Because that's what happens when we ask Jesus into our heart. We're baptized into his death. Verse 4 says, therefore we were buried with him. We were buried with him in verse 4. See, death and burial are one unit. Paul separates them here, but we don't understand that he meant anything different by the death and the burial because when something dies, you bury it. That's, that's, that's what we do generally. Death and burial are, are, are one thing, one, uh, two sides of the same coin. What is old is done away with. That's the picture here. See, buried corpses are not meant to be dug up. We don't bury uh, someone, we don't, and, and they say, we're just going to put that person here for a little while, then we're going to come back and get it. That, that's not the purpose. We, we bury and we leave it there. And it, it passes away. It's done with. Our bodies, when we die, are no longer useful to us. When this body dies, it's done, it's over with. We can't use it anymore. So we set it aside. The picture of this baptism, and remember, we, we really need to go back to uh, the first part of the chapter, because Paul is really talking about our life here. He mentions baptism in these two verses, and it gives us a great picture of baptism, but his purpose here, 
In verse 1, he says, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And then he talks about baptism in this picture of death. See, the whole purpose of him talking about baptism, the whole purpose of baptism is that symbolic death where the old is done away with, this old sinful nature is done away with, the old fleshly way of doing things is gone. Who we were prior to conversion, prior to salvation, no longer exists, and now we are a new creature. And that's what baptism symbolizes. See, when we're christened as an infant, there's no old and new happens. That's eight-day-old, ten-week-old, however-old baby doesn't, doesn't decide, oh, yeah, I, wow, I was sinful, but those eight days, um, but now I'm a new creature, and we need to see, it, it doesn't work. How does, how does that infant understand his, sin, his or her sinfulness? How are we putting away what was old? But when we come to Jesus as a believer, as someone old enough to make the decision, whether it's a, a 10-year-old or a 20-year-old um, who decides at some time, I was one thing, but I am no longer going to be that. I'm going to be something new. An infant can't do that, but someone at that age can. And that old fleshly way is buried with him in death. We put that old corpse in the ground, never to dig it up again. That's who I was. But in Jesus, that is not who I am now. We were buried with him in death, by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, just as Jesus came up something new and different, yet the same. See, Jesus came up brand new. He was, he was not what He was, yet He was completely what He was, only better. You know, Jesus, when He came up from the grave, He ate. We have a couple of different instances where He ate uh, after He rose from the grave. Once on the shore of the sea, after the guys have been out fishing, they come in and he's cooked for them. Another time where he met some guys on the road to Emmaus and, and talked to them. And, and he said, well, it's time for lunch, let's eat, good deal. And, and you know, I love this, you know when they recognized him? When he said the blessing. Oh, I've heard that prayer before. Nobody said the blessing like Jesus did. And they, they heard him and they knew who he was. He, he ate, he, he was recognizable. Now, yes, they had trouble recognizing him, but he was supposed to be dead. Or at this point, these guys on the road to Emmaus, the ladies are saying he was raised. Peter and John said he was raised. I hadn't seen him, so, you know, I don't know. They took the body, they did something with him, I don't know. You know, in, in, in our grief, we don't see things the same way. So these guys, well, he was recognizable because as soon as he prayed, they were oh yeah, they knew who he was. They knew when he came into the upper room and they were all there huddled, scared, what in the world is going to happen? And Jesus comes into the upper room. They recognized him, knew who he was. He had form. He had texture. You could, you could touch him. Yet, he came into that open room where the doors were locked. Came through the walls somehow. 
When the guys on the road to Emmaus recognized him, he said the blessing, uh, 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 they said, it's Jesus, poof, he was gone. Okay, see, that's different than what he was. But he was the same, right? They knew him. They recognized him. He was better if he could have given better. He was glorified. He had this new body like what we are going to have. See, conversion means, salvation means that we are different from what we were. We're better, but we're similar. We are not the old sinful creature that we were. We're not the old creature that is enslaved to sin. We will be sinful. We will still sin, but we're better. Why are we better? Because the Holy Spirit lives in us, guides us into all truth, convicts us of sin when we sin. So the reason we're better than we were, even though we're still sinful, is because when we sin, the Holy Spirit lets us have it. And then we work on that sin. And we overcome that sin. And then there's another one that pops up, and we work on that sin. But there's this process of making us holy, sanctification that occurs, because we're, we're, we're similar, but we're different. We're similar in that I may be a, a musician prior to my conversion. That conversion doesn't take away my musical ability. What it does, though, is lead me to use that musical ability no longer for myself, my fleshly desires, my personal gain, but to use it to the glory of God. I'm the same, but I'm better. Just as Jesus, when he was brought forth from the grave, was the same Jesus, but he was this new glorified body, the same God in the flesh, but different, but better. An example of what we will be someday. As Christ was raised... As, as he was raised, something different out of the grave, we are then raised from the water in baptism, new and different and better, similar, but a new way to walk. We walk in a new way of life, Paul goes on to say. As I said earlier, baptism is your public profession. That is you saying, I am following Jesus. It shows you are new. It shows that you are not what you were. It shows that you're serious about it. You know, anyone who, who will, wants to be saved but doesn't want to be baptized, I'm going to go back to them and talk to them a little bit more about wanting to be saved. Okay, you want something, and I see it, and that's, that is great. God is drawing you. God is pulling you. God is working on your spirit, working on your heart. You want that relationship. Why will you not be obedient? And what will be, trust me, in your life, the simplest obedience, you, obedient step you ever take? Now, some of you are sitting here thinking, uh-uh, you've got to do that in front of people. I, I, I know what you mean. I understand that. But as far as choosing to be baptized or choosing to take a bullet for your faith, this will be the simplest. So if you're, if you're struggling with baptism, then we need to go back and talk about your salvation. It shows that you're new. It's your announcement to the world, I am not who I was. I went into that water one thing, symbolically. I came up something brand new and different. Jesus got a hold of me. 
He took what was that I thought was worthless and in fact is. And he said, yeah, you know, you got some bad parts. Pretty much all of you. You're, you are sinful. You are a sinner by nature. But I can do miracles with that. If you've ever seen the before and after pictures of, I'll be nice here and say, home makeovers. It's amazing. We've just started watching, what's that show? Fixer Upper. Just started watching Fixer Upper and uh, the, the couple in Waco that does it. Great show. Love it. To see what they do, how they transform these homes. And we're, of course, always rooting for the worst home to be picked so we can see what they're going to do to it. And, of course, well, we've got $10 we can spend. You know, don't be crazy. You've got to spend more than that. Um, the transformation, right? The, the renovation, the, the, the remake. What is made new is incredible. But they took a lot of that. They took the old parts. They, you, you, it's still the same house, but it's, it's different, right? Oh, yeah, this has been cleaned out. And that has been not just painted over. We had to rip all of that out and put something new in to make it work. Does that not sound like what Jesus does to us? He takes us and says, yeah, the, the world has said, you're worthless. There's nothing here you see that's worth saving. But let me tell you what I can do. I'm not just going to put some paint on it and say, oh, yeah, everything's fine. There are things I am going to rip out, and it's going to hurt. But I'm going to put a new heart in you. There are going to be some rooms that we have to clean out. But there are also going to be some rooms we have to renovate. And yeah, there may be some paint we put on, and there may be some spackling we have to do, but Jesus is going to make something brand new and blow people away because of what was once a place, a person, nobody wanted. And then we accepted Christ. Then we buried that old person, and that new makeover person came up. Because we took that first step of obedience. Because the Christian life is step after step after step after step of obedience. So the beginning of that obedience is to say, yes, I will follow you in baptism. That's why we Baptists focus on baptism so much. That's why it's so important that if you accept Christ, we want you to be baptized. Not the next day necessarily. It may be a few weeks. It may be a couple of months because of the, things, the way things work out. But you must be willing to follow in that first step of obedience. Because I'm really going to question whether tomorrow you will be willing to take an even bigger step of obedience when you wouldn't take that one. And people died so that today we could do as the Bible says. Be baptized after we're saved. Peter preaches on Pentecost. What must we do when they hear the message? They knew that message was about them. What must we do? Repent and be baptized. Philip, traveling after the resurrection to, uh, forgotten where he was going now, on the road. And he's riding with this guy. Uh, a eunuch comes along. He's, he's reading in his chariot. You know, he's, he's reading Isaiah. Philip says, hey, you understand what you're reading? Man, how could I? 
Unless somebody explains it to me. And Philip says, let's go back a little further. He starts at the beginning. He explains Isaiah to him, who he was talking about, Jesus. Explains how he had just been crucified. He had risen from the dead. We've seen him. <clears throat> the eunuch says, it all makes sense now, man. I appreciate it. I, I want this. What's, what's stopping me from being baptized? There's water over there. We're at an oasis. There's water. What's stopping me from being baptized? Nothing. You believe, you be baptized. It is biblical that we be baptized. But it is biblical that we be baptized as believers. And it is biblical that when we come up out of that water, we live a new life. We are brand new. So my question to you this morning is, does your life show that newness? Are you walking in that new life that Romans tells us to walk in? Uh, baptized believer, I'm talking to you. Have you grown stale? Are you walking in a new way of life, Christian? Or have you veered off of that path? Has Christianity become just something you are by label instead of do by life? Believer. You've trusted him for salvation, but you've never taken that first step, that beginning of obedience. Believer's baptism. Maybe you need to take that step. Maybe the next time I fill that up, it's for you instead of somebody else. And then, unbeliever, do you desire salvation? Do you want that new life? Are you the fixer-upper? Are you the person that you know nobody wants? You believe there is nothing good about you. And Jesus says, you know what? I take old things, old broken things, and make them brand new. Jesus can do that for you today. See, what breaks you is your sin. That's your problem. Your sin. Your sinfulness. Jesus takes care of that sin problem. Romans 6.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's all of us. That's you, that's me, that's everybody. But because of that sin, we cannot have a relationship with God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. See, there's, there's an issue of sin. There's a penalty for that sin, death. But there is a way we can have that relationship with God, and that is through this gift of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Romans continues to tell us, 5.8, that while we were yet sinners, even though God knew what we were, He sent His Son to die for us. While I was a sinner, Jesus died for me. Knowing what I would do, He died for me anyway. Knowing what unbelievers would do, unbelievers who will go to their graves as unbelievers, Jesus died for them. Jesus died for everyone, knowing what they would be and what they would do. Romans 10, 13. The salvation is there for anyone who will call. All who call in the name of the Lord will be saved. All you have to do is trust Him. All you have to do is believe, have faith, trust, believe, faith. It's the same thing. 
I can't do it. I can't fix my sin problem. I call on Jesus to save me. And Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It is that easy. It is that simple. And yes, it is that life-changing. Because once we've asked Jesus into our heart, we take that step of obedience we bury that old life. We come up brand new. And we walk the rest of our lives with our eyes set on Jesus. Is that what you need to do today? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these two that have come and, and followed in the, this beginning of obedience to you. Lord, they have long lives of obedience ahead of them. We all, as Christians, as believers, will we'll stumble, will fail, will sin. But you will be there. Your grace is sufficient. We are new. Brand new. Lord, thank you for that gift of salvation. Thank you for the, the newness of life that we receive because of your Son. Thank you for the relationship that we have with you, Father, because your Son, Jesus, was willing to die on that cross for us. Set aside his desires and give his life up. Lord, lead us to set aside our desires and give our lives up to you. Move in this place this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, your new way of life. What does that mean for you today? How do you need to respond to the message? This message of baptism. This message of obedience. This message of salvation. Maybe you need to accept Christ. You've never trusted Him as Savior. You've done a lot of good things. And you've, you've been in a lot of churches. And you've gone through a lot of steps. But you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior. Maybe today is the day that you do that. Maybe you need to be baptized. Take that first step of obedience. You've trusted Christ. But you've never been baptized as a believer. Maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe that new way of life has eluded you and you need to get back to that, Christian. You need to uh, lead a life of holiness, recommit yourself to Him, return to Jesus and say, I don't want to be what I was yesterday. Maybe you need to be used somehow according to His purpose here in our church. Maybe you need to join our church. Whatever it is, you come this morning. Share it with me if you'd like. I'd love to pray with you. Maybe you just want to come to the altar and pray. Maybe you want to share your decision on a connection card there in the pew in front of you and let us know. Drop that in the offering plate later on so we can hear of your decision, pray for you, rejoice with you. Whatever your decision is this morning, I pray that you would make it and not put it off. The altar's open. I'll pray. Let's stand. Let's sing. And you do business with God this morning.